0: G'day mate, welcome to episode 78 of the Exponential Performance Podcast. It's so good to have you here. Now, Nick and I recorded this episode of the podcast about over a month ago now and i'm just getting around to getting it live now so apologies for the delay the second thing is is during this episode we did have a few technical difficulties and we were sort of cut off the recording stopped uh sort of partway through so it is a little bit shorter than normal and the stuff that we covered that wasn't recorded, we will add that to a future episode. But in this episode, we talk about pacing in a team time trial situation in adventure racing and multi-sport. And we also talk about how do you prepare or how do you plan for a race that is a long time away. In this case, two years? How do you get ready for a race that is two years away? What are the things you think about with your planning? So without further ado, let's get into it.
1: Welcome to the Exponential Performance Podcast. Join sports scientist and performance coach Matty Graham to find out how to train smarter and maximize your performance no matter who you are. Alright mate, welcome to episode
0: 78 of the Exponential Performance Podcast, it's so good to have you here. Nick Taylor,
1: how are you doing today mate? I'm good, thank you, I'm good. I'm refreshed from riding my bike outside a bit more and and getting to see a few more faces and buying a coffee and some of those slightly more normal life uh, situations that we find ourselves now, that lockdown measures are being relaxed.
0: Brilliant. The simple things in life make a big difference, don't they?
1: They do. Yeah, yeah. I hadn't really sort of missed biking outside until I started riding my bike back outside again. Um, so it's been good.
0: Is not cutting the mustard.
1: Oh, no, it's good. It's just the you know riding on single track and in, in a forest um, and having a good time. You know, you, you can't do some of those more basic kind of. Things and you're getting the, the experience of being out in nature or riding on some gravel road and, and that sort of carry on.
0: So real outdoors is better than virtual outdoors?
1: Always, yes. <laughs> the, virtual, the virtual outdoor world helps with from a training point of view. Uh, it's a very, really good training metric, um, and it's, it's filled a gap from some sort of racing and some intensity. Um, you know, you can't go out and do the same intensity on the, on the road in a training session. Um, than you can in a virtual race setting sometimes. That's certainly that. Absolutely.
0: Oh, that's good to hear, mate.
1: Yes. How about yourself?
0: Oh, it's ticking along, and uh, great news that the kids are going back to school next week. They are very excited about it. They are sick of their parents. Uh, (laughs) Everyone's starting to get a little bit of cabin fever. we were just out walking up Mount Iron. Uh, now which was nice and we've been getting out and doing a bunch of stuff but everyone's well ready to get back into the swing of things so yep. we are looking forward to getting back to school that's for sure yep. Uh apart from that no good been getting out on the bike a bit running still looking forward to uh just life returning to some sort of uh, the
1: old days yes <laughs> yes yes I did see a, a, a Matty Graham uh, Strava ride pop up the first time for a while.
0: Yeah, well, I'm I'm terrible with Strava. I I'll, I'll record a bunch of rides and on my training and whatever, and then I'll put them onto my my Training Peaks. I don't have everything streamlined in the setup because when you've got a coaching Training Peaks account, it doesn't allow you to do automatic uploads for your account that's on because you're an athlete on your coaching account. So I go old yeah. school with my file upload. And so I'll make sure it's on training peaks and then I'll, I'll just dump a b- bunch of stuff on Strava every now and then. So, uh, yeah, it's not as consistent as uh, what it should be. I'm sorry, Nick. Uh,
1: that's okay. It's just the only way I can see what you're up to. But, you know, secret training. Doesn't... Secret
0: training. That's the only way to train, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah, so well, the sort of crazy times of day that you train its, it's probably considered secret because no one else is going to see you anyway.
0: Well, that's the only reason I train at those time of days so no one can see how slow I go. It's a good actually it's a really good time to do quality based training is in mm. the dark because one you feel you go faster when it's dark, uh so you don't feel so slow because when we're talking zone two training, we need to train slow to, you know, get the adaptations that we're after it's counterproductive to go too fast. And a lot of people struggle with it, like we talked a couple of episodes ago about people feeling self-conscious that they're going so slow when they're trying to do this zone two base training that uh, they, they end up going too fast and being a little bit counterproductive. So if you go out in the dark, one, you feel like you go faster, but then two, no one can see you anyway because one, no one's awake, and two, it's dark even if they do see you. And I, and I find it's a really good time to do it.
1: That's a very good point that I never really thought about, actually. But, yeah, it's a good option. Especially that feeling faster in the dark, because now you mention it, it does, you do feel faster in the dark. Mm. Um, But I haven't been consciously aware of that, yeah.
0: Yep, well, there you go, guys. We
1: tip. We pro tip. Yeah.
0: All right team, we're going to jump into our first uh, list uh, Q&A. This is a voice question uh, that we got from Phil and it's around time trial specifics, specifically team time trials, which is a little bit of an interesting dynamic. So Phil, take it away with your question.
1: Hi Maddie, Phil from Hamilton. Got a bit of a quick question relating to the ideal time to take the lead in a team time trial or in an adventure race situation. So I've got a couple of cycling and multi-sport races coming up around the 3-hour mark. I was wondering the most efficient and fast way to get across the finish line if you're in a group of four. Everyone is assumed to be at the same fitness level and prepared to work, i.e. is it a one-minute lead giving three minutes to recovery? Also, if the race is longer or shorter, would you advise changing the length of the time of the leads? If the group was larger, would you change the length of time the leads are for? and for heart rate if the breakaway bunch was sitting at ten percent below threshold, how hard should you work if you're at the front? Again this is from a physiological point of view. Thanks cheers. so that
0: there is an interesting question complex man d- talk about details we're going to go deep on this one. So I want to break it down and sort of look at each different part uh, in sequence. So um, hopefully I get the order right here, but we're looking at uh, what's the optimal time on the front for a team time trial for an adventure race or then he goes into multi-sport racing as well. So we're assuming that we're at the same fitness level as he pointed out there. And what what's the optimal time to be on the front? Well, Around about that 30 seconds to a minute is a really good time frame to take your turn on the front. What we want to do is when you're on the front, you're going to be working harder than when you're tucked in someone's slipstream. The speed's the same, but you're working harder to produce the energy because you're going to have to break through the wind. So what we want to do is when we're on the front is we want to minimize uh, the the metabolic dent that it puts in us, so to speak. So we are going to be working harder. We're going to be producing more anaerobic energy or energy from anaerobic uh, pathways. So there is going to be start to be an accumulation of blood lactate uh, and hydrogen ions, which again, they don't cause fatigue, but they are associated with fatigue because we're working harder. So if we sort of 30 seconds to a minute of a sustained pace, then we allow ourselves not to make too much of a dent. Uh, in our metabolism so to speak and then we get around about 3 minutes recovery while our our buddies are on the front pushing for us so same fitness level everyone takes the same amount of turns whatever it might be that's kind of a nice way of doing it if it's really windy for example then you would shorten the duration that you're on the front because if it's really windy then you have to work harder uh, against the wind when you are on the front so that that metabolic dent in our armor, so to speak, is going to happen faster because we have to work harder against it. So when it's really windy, roll the laps over quicker. So hopefully that answers the optimal time on the front. I reckon 30 seconds to a minute. Now, you stated in in there that everyone in the team is at the same level. I guarantee they're not. So this would be the next thing. If we're in a team event, everyone's not going to be at the same level, okay? Even if they are roughly at the same level, then they're roughly not at the same level as well. So when it comes to team dynamics and a team time trial, those stronger people that get on the front, they want to think about doing longer turns rather than doing faster turns on the front. Hopefully that makes sense. What I mean by that is that rather than getting on the front and winding the speed up faster, they just stay on the front longer but the same speed. Because if you get someone on the front who's a stronger cyclist and they then go faster, then it makes everyone else in the in the pace line work harder as well. And they're trying to recover, so that's counterproductive. So if you've got a stronger teammate, when they get on the front They need to focus on holding the same sustained speed, but do it for longer. So they take longer turns on the front. So if you've got better riders, longer on the front, uh, not faster. Now, some people do love to jump on the front and take really long turns. The problem with taking long turns, like I said, we get that bigger metabolic dent in our armor. We get that lactate production. And we're starting to produce energy anaerobically and we know that that's not sustainable. So if, you, if everyone starts to take longer turns on the front, then what actually happens over time is our speed starts to drop as everybody's armor gets a bit more dented and that starts to accumulate and our overall speed will start to go down. When we're, It depends on the race as well, right? So like if we're doing a long adventure race, uh, versus like a shorter stage type team racing the the longer the race the 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 less we want to really do on the front we want to save our energy as much as possible so we when we're doing our pace line uh during a long race that the emphasis might not be on maximizing speed but it might be more on just conserving and efficiency so that the the, the the laps that you do on the front could become a little bit longer because every time you get to the front, you are not hammered down uh, working it around that threshold. Versus shorter races where the intensity is higher, that's where those shorter laps on the front can become a little bit more efficient because we are working on maintaining the highest possible speed. And while we're trying to do that in longer races as well, in the shorter race, it becomes more important to push that speed up. Now, the other points that I had here is, I think in the question, Phil, you mentioned around in larger groups, should it be a long, Should you take longer or shorter turns? So I think this is moving away from the adventure racing team time trial specifics now, isn't it? If you've got a larger group, potentially you're not in a big adventure race anymore uh, because you're not in your team of four, or maybe you've got multiple teams together whatever the the situation is you're no longer in a team time trial situation you're in a bunch riding situation where you've got your opposition around you and when you're in a bunch riding situation where you're riding against your competitors you want to make sure that you're coming off the front as fresh as possible so you're doing the minimal amount of work to keep the bunch moving, but not taxing yourself for the benefit of the other competitors unnecessarily. So, if it was an individual race, keep the uh, keep the time on the front even shorter. the The bigger the group is, the more people there are to take their turns on the front. So, roll in, and it's almost a roll up and roll off sort of approach when it becomes bigger groups, and especially if it's a big bunch. Of individual competitors you don't want to get stuck out the front doing all the work for everyone and then everyone else is just going to come and roll through and do short turns so you want to make sure you look after yourself look after yourself so that you are uh, you've got energy for later on and I guess that comes back to that adventure racing or multi-sport time trial uh, or team team riding versus a cycling team time trial where at the end of a cycling team time trial the race is over you're done But the end of a multi-sport or an adventure racing team cycling stage, it's it's often not the end of the race. You get off and you've got to go into a mountain run or a trick or whatever it is. So if everyone's focusing on maximizing their speed during that riding section, then it's potentially going to have a negative flow-on effect for the other stages of the race as well. So just have a think about... um, thinking about what's coming next as well. It's not just about maximizing the speed during the uh, stage that you're on. With that adventure racing in mind as well, a really good idea is to have bungees so that you can, on the back of your seat post, like a retractable dog, collar is a really good option, um, to be able to hook everyone together in a big, long train, for example. Because often what will happen is someone will get on the front And you'll be driving away because you're on the front. You're feeling good. You want to push the pace up. And and before you know it, everyone's a bit strung out, which is quite counterproductive. And when you've got a long line and everyone's sort of down in the zone or it's dark or it's windy and everyone's got their head down, you don't often know what's going on around you. So if you can join everybody together, then everyone stays together and everyone sort of picks up the slack. If a lot of people will have – bungees or retractable dog leashes or tow lines on their bikes and they'll have it on the strongest cyclist bike with the idea that they're going to tow the weaker members of the team when it comes to uphill riding or whatever it might be. But if you get everyone with a tow line on, even the weakest member of the team, you can go then and link up so that everyone can stay together on those flat stages and that can work quite efficiently uh, just so that everyone knows where everyone is, everyone stays together. If someone starts to pull away a little bit harder, instantly they get a little bit of a notification from the person behind them by a little bit of tension on their toe line that they might be going a bit harder. So a couple of things to think about there depending on the specific situations. Now the final part of the question, and again I hope I'm covering all of the pieces because I'm finding it hard to remember, uh, is the breakaway. So a breakaway group and I, and I assume, again, this is no longer in an adventure racing setting but more of an individual multi-sport uh, setting where the bunch, there's the main bunch, and then there's a breakaway bunch on top of that. So a breakaway bunch approximately riding at approximately 10% below threshold. How hard should you work when you get to the front? So if you're in this breakaway group, you and you're lapping you're not really going to be able to have too much feedback of how hard you're working unless you've got a power meter in front of you but as you come onto the front especially in a breakaway group that's going to be rotating through their pace line pretty quickly cuz no one wants to spend too much time on the front working for everybody else if you're not in a team then you're going to be riding it at around the same same pace. So if you if the breakaway groups at ten percent below threshold, as you come through the front, you're going to be pushing it up to around threshold, but don't go over. Lap off, join the group again, recover, and then back into the uh, groove from there. And I think that's what you're trying to get at. But if that's to speed the the breakaway groups going, I I I doubt that everyone's at ten percent below threshold because everyone's going to have a slightly different threshold uh, with, within that group. And the key thing is that you need to look after your own legs uh, versus what everyone else is doing. So that may mean that you take shorter turns on the front. Um, you know. And there's always the politics of bunch riding, isn't there, of how much work people are doing at certain times. And we want to make sure that we're doing our fair share of work. But at the end of the day, if your fair share of work means that you completely self implode then potentially you shouldn't be in the breakaway bunch either so if you don't want to do your fair share of work you're going to get some abuse so either you do the work you get the abuse or maybe stay out of the breakaway bunch uh, where maybe you're not quite ready for that or you're better suited to stay in the in the big bunch in the main bunch because remember it's probably not the the be all and end all of the race being in that breakaway unless it's at the end because more than likely you've got to get off your bike and then run or kayak so you might be better to save yourself for further down the line nick what did i miss in that extremely detailed question from phil
1: uh maybe just a couple of practical things around actually practicing it with your team so riding you know four people uh you know wheel to wheel isn't quite as easy as it looks in terms of jumping on a bike and away you go and then having everyone rolling through to make sure that the the person coming through, they kind of have almost like a slingshot effect as they reach the front and they don't end up a couple of meters ahead of the next person, which then creates a bit of a gap. So that person has to work a bit harder to keep up and you kind of, you start to kind of waste the effects of actually being behind each other. So by mm-hmm. being able to kind of nice and sort of evenly roll through um, and kind of rotate in a group whichever way you're doing so um, is quite a good thing to practice um, and also practicing with different different wind conditions so headwind, tailwind, sidewinds uh, because you're not going to be sitting in the same bunch hopefully going into a headwind as you are when that wind's coming across you from the side uh, because it kind of negates some of the, the benefits so learning where you can sit, where everybody in your team is comfortable sitting with someone on a bike, you know, some some of the road cycling bunches you see are really you know, they're almost touching elbows side by side. Um but not everyone's comfortable sitting side by side with someone on the bike. So getting used to that as well is a is a good thing. Um and one thing I'd say <clears> that if it is an individual multi sport race and you're in a bunch and you know you're on the front, you're doing your work and you go to pull off and people just seem to follow in behind you and don't almost no one comes forward to help. Um, if you don't want to be there, just slow down, and eventually someone will come through because the pace is slowing down. Um, just slow down to a pace you feel comfortable and sit there. Uh, you know, the the bunch will eventually work their way forward and you can tuck back in and, and get some recovery that way. Um, don't feel like because they've left you out on the front of a bunch that you have to be drilling it hard, hard, hard um, the whole time. Yeah, because that's,
0: that's often what will happen. Like the likes of the coast-to-coast and that first ride is – so you'll get someone up on the front that uh that wants to push the pace and everyone's happy to let them sit up the front and push the pace um and then everyone will just just stay behind them you know just keep following them over the road whereas yeah like you say if you want a bunch to work well you, there needs to be some some almost some leadership within the bunch to get it happening because otherwise it doesn't happen very smoothly because one a lot of people don't really know uh the the etiquette around bunch racing or haven't done it before, and they all of a sudden they're in this big you know big bunch and they don't want to get out the front and, and smash themselves too much so people do get stuck out there so yeah if, if you do get stuck out there don't uh, don't work yourself to death for everybody else
1: no absolutely and it's it's worth practicing in <clears throat> you know local uh bike races, mountain bike races, road races, or whatever it is. Um, just to get comfortable biking in a bunch uh, sitting behind someone how that effective coming through and sitting in the front feels versus having someone roll in front of you and that the wind kind of comes off your off your chest Um, so you're comfortable come race day uh, of sitting um, in behind people or beside people absolutely
0: yeah and in the adventure racing example you know, when you've got four people, you definitely want to have practiced that before, like you said, and talk to your team about how 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 are we going to handle when we've got this massive, long, dead straight gravel road that goes on for 60 kilometers into a headwind. How are you, how are you going to manage that? Because a lot of people uh, don't actually think about that sort of thing until it, it's happening, and that's way too late. So talk to your team, practice, and have a bit of a strategy in place for, you know, how are we going to do those things
1: yeah and probably even how are you going to make sure everyone's eating still on the bike you know Mm. you get into a big pace line and you're flying along and all of a sudden you forget to eat because you're so concentrated on the wheel in front of you doing your turn the wheel in front of you doing your turn that you forget to to start eating again so even having some sort of okay we do three rotations and then we check in as we go right everyone's had a drink everyone's had something to eat another three rotations and and do it that way
0: yeah, nice. So our next question, Nick, is uh, around about training for an event that's a long way away. And the example we've got here is two years away. So we've got this key event that's two years away. How do we go about training for something like
1: that? It's a great question uh, because training for something two years away is, is very, it, it's hard and it's tricky, more from a mental fatigue and kind of that burnout of, regular monotonous training Um, and I'd kind of uh, I guess preface that by looking at what the what the reason is for the event being two years away is it that we are starting out into a new sport and it's going to take us a couple of years to get technically capable of doing let's say a kayak race or the coast to coast Um, is it an an expense thing we have to save some money to do this big event that we want to do overseas Uh, or is it just simply that, okay, I want to do X race and it's not on for another two years, Uh, which is possibly a wee bit more realistic now, given that the COVID concerns around the world um, and events have been cancelled, it might now be a good year, 18 months or two years away, that events will start to pop back up. So the first thing I would say is make sure you have a very good plan for the next we'll use two years let's say you've got a really good plan for the next two years as to what you're going to do between now and race day from a sort of a a cycle within your training Um, you know you might have within two years it it could be four cycles um, you know maybe a summer season if you're a a summer racer Um, you're going to have a winter season summer season a winter and a summer before you get to that race so you want to make sure that you, your build up in the summer coming ahead is going to lead you to having a decent build up the following summer and build on top of that again. So you're kind of you're building up to one level, and then you're going to rebuild again to get to your event instead of sort of cycling through one build, dropping off, and then cycling through another build and kind of reaching the same point each season. <clears throat> and that's where having a winter base and kind of a summer race plan. Um, can be really beneficial in terms of making sure you hit what you want to do in the summer based on the work you've done through the winter. Um, there's no point in waiting until summertime and thinking, right, I want to get to here, um, but I'm starting from, from nothing, so I have to build up, and you're only going to reach sort of half of, of where you might get to. Um, that would include making sure you've got some sort of stepping stone races in place. Uh, there's, you know, I don't think anyone would really keep motivated for two years for an event, maybe the Olympics. As a, a difference or a Commonwealth Games, you know that's a really big draw card for professional athletes. Um, so then, but then they've got so many stepping stones in place anyway, so they're not just not racing for two years and then going to the Olympics. <clears throat> so making sure you've got some, some really good key races, and you know you might have two or three other A races before that two-year A race as well. Um, so those are races that can be done as a, a practice race. You know you're practicing nutritional strategies, you're practicing gear. Um, tapering practices, your recovery strategies, all these things which are going to help make sure that that race that you've got planned a couple of years down the track is actually beneficial and and you peak uh, at the right time. And also making sure that you've got some sort of, I I would like like a visual uh, representation. So maybe it's a a course map or the, the logo of the event or something stuck in, in a place that's meaningful for you. So you know, it could be in your bedroom, could be in your indoor training. Okay, uh, it might even just be a photo on the uh, face of your phone that you're going to see often enough just to keep that motivation, that that sort of fuel for the desire to do this event um, high. Really, I don't know if you've got some some other helpful strategies, Maddie. But I mean, two years out is is a long time. Um, I've done a nine month training plan for my first Ironman. Um, and that was good because for me it was nine months is, is a good cycle time. Um, you know, you can kind of load up and you're building. Um, and again, being the first one, I was starting out quite green in the sport triathlon at that stage too. Um, but two years is a decent t- period of time to be training for one event.
0: Yeah, big time. And I think the 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 problem comes is how to peak in two years' time. And I think a lot of people think of it as a linear process, as in I'm here now, I'm going to go to here in two years' time. But rather than thinking about it as a linear process, thinking about it as a little bit of an undulation in that we're going to build up over this first season, we're going to have a a key race within that season, like you said, an A race, that is going to help us in our stepping stones to that that key race that's in two years. And, I mean, this is the, the reality for, you know, Olympic athletes, not just two years but four years we've got four years to get them to peak on a certain day in four years times how do we go about that and again it's not a linear process over that four year period it's it's four one-year blocks where we're going through different different cycles during those blocks and working on different things so at the start of the two years it'd be really good to sit down and do a little bit of a like a needs analysis of what are your strengths what are your weaknesses where do you want to be in, in two years time when you tow that start line? What is it that you want what to, what do you want to do? How do you want to be? What's your performance like? Um, what's your race weight and have a look at where you are now. And then what, where are the gaps and what do we need to do over this period? And that first, year is a really good time to experiment with different things different training approaches different nutrition options Um, if you've got some body composition that you need to work out time to potentially lose some weight gain some muscle mass whatever it might be that first year as well awesome time to revisit that base phase So whether that be our aerobic conditioning or just our technique as well. So a really good time to strip everything back to the bones, so to speak, and work on those basics while you've got the time. Because when you get to the next year, we want to be starting to be more specific about how we're building to reach that key event. So if if we, we don't really want to be having to make big changes to what we're doing, in our training so we want to be really focused on making the most of it and being specific towards that key event so if we can do that in that first that first year of our build up then it allows us to be ready to go into that second year ready to attack it so you can think of that first year of your build up as almost preparation for the second year and obviously we're going to have some races and and build ups where we cycle through a, a base phase and then a, more of a speed preparation phase for a key race during that first year. But it's all a little bit of an experiment, so to speak, for the following year, where we really want everything to start to come together. And again, in that first year, if you've got niggly injuries that are always a problem, then that's what you need to get on top of during that block of training might be that you decrease the amount of time you're doing committed to the actual event and focus on on prehab and rehab strength based work during that time while you've got the time again so that when you get into that important time in the one year leading up to the the next event or the six months prior to the event where everything gets super specific and super detailed that's when you know you don't want to have to be uh, messing around with niggly injuries that keep springing up.
1: Mm, absolutely. And as <clears throat> well, worth, within your two-year plan, having some sort of time, whether it's a couple of weeks or a month of unstructured planning, mm. we can just have a little bit of a mental uh, kind of refresh because from a, a non-structured plan where you're still exercising, still doing the, the sport or activity that it is, uh, but you're not following heart rate zones or power zones or whatever it is um, religiously uh, to to keep that kind of freshness there. So when you do sort of almost have a, a race, have a couple of weeks of unstructured enough, right back into a bit of a plan and build up from there.
0: I mean, that goes with periodization of, of any sort, whether you've got a you know two year build up or a one year or whatever it might be. You know, the off season is something that is overlooked by so many people because they don't feel that an offseason is contributing towards their goals short term or long term mate thanks for listening If you would like to support this podcast and see it continue into the future, you can do so in a number of ways. Firstly, make sure you subscribe to this channel on whatever platform you are listening. Like and share the podcast on social media to help spread the word. If you're feeling really generous, head over and leave a review and a rating over on iTunes. This helps spread the word and develop the podcast all of this will help the podcast continue long into the future so we can keep bringing you the information you need to train hard but most importantly train smart